Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I show entrepreneurs how to turn their businesses into agents for lasting change, global impact, and a force for good in the world. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. I'm excited to announce the Fierce Women Forum, a special event where nine remarkable leaders and I will talk about what it means to be fierce, the reactions we receive as women and people perceived as women, and how we can support each other to be fierce when it's needed. If you've ever been told you're too much or silenced yourself because you were afraid of how you'd be perceived, the Fierce Women Forum is for you. To learn more about the forum and the outstanding leaders I'll be in conversation with, and to register, go to workalchemy.com forward slash FWF, as in Fierce Women Forum. The Fierce Women Forum begins on July 15th, so be sure to bookmark that site right now and go there right after this episode. Even if you're listening to this after July 15th, you can still register and receive the recording. Please join us. Today's guest on the podcast is Jennifer Loudon. Jen is a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the concept of self-care with her first bestseller, The Woman's Comfort Book. Since then, she's written six additional books on well-being and whole living, including The Woman's Retreat Book, The Life Organizer, and the most recent, My Bother with close to a million copies of her books in print in nine languages. She's been profiled and quoted in dozens of magazines, two of Brene Brown's books, and has appeared on hundreds of TV programs, radio shows, and podcasts, even on Oprah. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. I'm so delighted to have you here. Hi. I'm so delighted to get to talk to you and get to know you more. <laughs> well, you're considered a pioneer in women's self-care, and uh, that's become a huge movement and industry. And I actually, I bought your first book when it came out in the early 90s, The Woman's Comfort so Book. That's cool. And uh, it, it's, it's a first edition. I have a Jen Loud. Oh my gosh, edition. you have that ugly green cover. <laughs> I hated that cover so much. Did you? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it was, it was really groundbreaking at the time yes. when women's self-care was, you know, get your nails done or, mm-hmm. you know, take the time to actually take a bath. And your careers continued to be integral to the arc of women's self-care. And is that an impact that you're consciously trying to create or did it maybe start with that and it's changed over time? Oh, there was nothing conscious about it. (laughs) (laughs) I tell this story in my newest book, Why Bother? And I really was in a, probably the first crossroads in my life, my first Why Bother time. And I really surrendered to it and probably still remains the biggest surrender of my life. I may be in the second one right now. And the title for that book, The Woman's Comfort Book, popped into my head as clearly as if I, someone said it to me. In fact, I looked at the front door because I thought someone was at the front door and my little tiny guest house that I rented. And so I wrote, I wrote that, I think, from a, a deep place um, in myself, but also in the zeitgeist. And there's an interesting story. Another well-known author, um, whose name, of course, just fell out of my head, uh, during the... So I don't know if I was doing fact checking or resource checking because that book had a lot of resources in it. I called the publisher 
to ask them about one of their books. And I told them I'm getting this book published by Harper and my, you know, the title is The Woman's Comfort Book. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't learn this for years, they, I hung up the phone with them and they all freaked out because they were about to publish a book by their Sue Patton Thole. Sue Patton Thole, that's the author, okay. right? Mm -hmm. They were going to publish the, the Woman's Book of Comfort. So they had to change the title on her book. So I really believe that there's just ideas that are out there and they float to us. And sometimes they're the right idea for us in the right time in our life. And I just got lucky with that one. Wow. Well, um, it's, uh, I, I mean, you actually, you joked in an interview and this is kind of related where the, you said, I have no idea what's motivating me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a kind of freedom in that, that you don't need to waste your time trying to figure something out. And I wonder if it's kind of connected with something you actually wrote in the, in the book, Why Bother? To find your next why bother, you must not only let go of who you've become, but you must also resist creating a story of who you will become. Oh my God, that is the... Oh, that is so true. <laughs> it is so true. I, I, that is a hard one lesson. And I'm really, some of us cling to identities more than others. And some of us are much more fluid in our sense of self. And I'm sure that is from a whole bunch of different neurobiological and societal and cultural reasons. But I cling to identity. <laughs> I'm one of the ones that cling. <laughs> and I always wanted to be creative, but I also wanted to be successful. I have a real strong, ambitious streak. Um, I was the primary earner in for many years in my first marriage and and I like that I'd like to be successful and I mean I'm talking successful on a very modest scale you know not like like we look at some of the things that happen in the world today but being able to take care of myself and have you know pay the mark and have a comfortable life and mm. so I it's really hard been really hard for me at these different junctures in my life to let go of who I thought I am or was or needed to be and again I'm in one of these right now that's very fascinating and very different and very unexpected. In some ways, it, it was happening anyway, but the pandemic just made it go whoosh. Like, okay, yeah. here you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of us are, are kind of examining who we are and, and what's happening right now. And it seems like a time of such big transition, potentially. Yes, and, um, and transitions for our, for you know, we're both in America, so... For, I think a big transitions for America. I think the injustice that we're all being faced with in a way that's always been there. But when we see that the people in the meatpacking plant are dying because yeah. the companies didn't take care of them knowingly, we see that I just was reading this morning that there are states like Ohio and Texas are going to basically force people to go back to work or take away their unemployment benefits. Even if they don't, even if they're immunocompromised, they don't feel safe, they don't feel their employer is setting it up in a safe way because they're Republican states, I guess, that don't that think people are bad and are going to cheat. Um, mm. So anyway, I think it's going to be a very interesting time how we come out of this. It's going to be long. It's going to be hard. But hopefully there'll be some great changes. Yeah. Well, I, I know something you've said before is that you you want to change the world. Mm -hmm. And 
So what what's your role in all of this change that you see happening? No, I was thinking about that. I went for a run this morning and I forgot my music. And usually I'm like, damn, because <laughs> it really motivates <laughs> me. I run faster. I like it gets me out of my head. So I, I just read an article about running mindfully before I left the house. Oh, wow. And so I'm like, hello, <laughs> let's <laughs> run mindfully. And one of the there's a six step process in the book. And one of the steps is settle as in settle into your body as in get quiet as and stop being distracted. So I just laughed at myself. And I actually thought about turning around because I drive to a trail. And I actually thought about turning around and going back and getting my music. I'm like, girl, no. <laughs> so I had this great mindful run and it was really beautiful. And I was thinking exactly about your question, which is, do you know, how do I want to support people in what I see is the changes that, that we need to be made? And how do we keep people from getting overwhelmed? And for me, one of my big desires is to help people face into the climate emergency. But we also have, you know, now we have the injustice emergency in front of us. And so mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. I was thinking about different ideas on the trail and none of them felt right yet. But I think what I've been trying to do now for a while is figure out how we can link getting our own bother on, getting our own relationship with desire restored with wanting that and helping other people do that, but without getting into that savior thing, because that totally doesn't work. Yeah. We've seen that in every, almost every international aid project. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned a couple of things I wanted to, to ask you about. And, and I guess first is, um, I mean, the subtitle of the book, why bother is discover the desire for what's next. And um, I think many women and some men too are so reluctant to even acknowledge what they want. Oh, gosh, and yes. I, yeah, I wonder if these times might sort of bring out something more strongly uh, in, in us. I wonder too, because some of us, obviously not a lot of us, but some of us have had this forced, quiet, less work, no work, right? That's mm -hmm. happened, you know, to, to tens of millions of us. And, and what do we find when the external habit structures and needs of, that keep us busy fall away? What are we finding? Are, and are we finding ourselves? Are we finding what really matters to us? Are we finding what we really care about? And do we have the tools and to, to listen to that and build on it? I think some people are. I definitely have seen a lot of clean garages in my neighborhood. <laughs> a lot of power washing going on. <laughs> right. Well, that is a kind of purpose, that's for sure. So I wonder, you know, I just, I wonder, I, I wonder if some of us are just so afraid of naming what we want. I mean, I certainly have seen this with so many people that I've worked with and struggled with it myself. I still struggle with it. It's, it's scary because it makes us very exposed feeling. It's scary because it brings up disappointment. And, you know, I mean, I just had the silliest thing on the run again this morning. We trail run, and usually we do that on the weekends because we don't have time to go up to the mountains. They're, you know, 15, 20-minute drive from our house during the week. So my mm -hmm. husband and I will go up and trail run on the weekends, and we haven't been able to because of the virus. But we ventured, finally ventured out last weekend we thought it might be safe and it was pretty safe there was some bikers that didn't make it totally safe feeling but it was so good to be in nature again it's so good to be in the green it's green right here I live in Colorado and everything's greening up and it's my favorite time of the year 
But I was having the desire today while I was running, this little simple desire to say to him, so could we go up and instead of running the whole time, so we'll usually go up for two, two and a half hours of running, could we hike for part of it? Could we hang out longer? I want to stay up there longer. Such mm-hmm. a simple, tiny desire, right? And just paying attention to that and like, do I really want that? How can I ask him in a way that, you know, will we'll feel good to him because he loves to run and he runs longer distances mostly than I do. Those are the kind of moments that we, we need to bring into our lives to reawaken desire so we know what we bother about. But it's so easy to dismiss them. It's yeah. so easy to dismiss them and to think they need to matter or we're afraid to share them with other people or, you know, another silly desire is, I mean, I shouldn't, I don't, it'll sound silly. It doesn't feel silly to me at all is I have this time of the day that I often find myself um, kind of itchy and unhappy and we might call it the witching hour, right? When our kids were little, that kind of mm-hmm. five to six. And my husband makes dinner every day, which is amazing. And he's an amazing cook. And I'm so grateful. And he likes me to stay in the kitchen with him or near the kitchen. You know, we have this big open room, living room, kitchen thing. And I don't, I love to stay near him, but then I end up reading the news and that doesn't make me happy. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're getting on Twitter and that doesn't make me happy, but I haven't <laughs> known what to do with that time. And it's because I haven't been willing to kind of go through the process of my own book. And finally I've been doing it. And so I've started art journaling or some people call it junk journaling and I'm having so mm-hmm. much fun and, and it's the perfect thing to do right there by him on the kitchen table or counter. Yeah, you're still keeping him company and, and you're engaging in creating something. Yeah, that feels just totally fun. And I just have the desire to play with images and color and crayons. And it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't get me anything. Yeah. Well, it, it it's, really makes me think of something you, you wrote, too, that it's it's about wanting, but not wanting too much or too publicly. So, Mm. you know, those little things can be a start to it, but you know, what happens after that? Cause uh, you know, you can kind of flip back and forth between (laughs) I'm going to take action and then feeling like, well, I, I can't really embrace that. Yeah. So I think there's a desire in us to, quickly figure things out and I can attest to doing that many many times in my life and we'll go back to the quote that you mentioned a few moments ago but it's too small and what I've tried to do in the book is actually elucidate a process that takes us to the place where we're then ready to think about making a plan but I don't actually help you make the plan. There's lots of good books out there like that pivot by Jenny Blake. Um, now what by Laura Berman Fortgang. Those are both brilliant books. Like, okay, what am I going to do with my career? But what I discovered in my life and the people that I've worked with is that we skip this sort of internal find the desire place. And therefore we then make a plan that we're not really happy with or at peace with. Mm-hmm. that we don't really, we're not really sure that's the right thing. We rush to make a plan to feel safe. Yeah, and it gives you some sense of direction. And we've got this whole cultural thing, especially if you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. this whole thing of make it happen yeah. and you know, yeah. get out there. And I, mean, I think it actually kind of works against us sometimes because you're, 
you know, not not forcing yourself to do something different is something you talk about in the book. So how does that work if you're an entrepreneur and you're not forcing yourself to make something happen? I think there's times in, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 30 years. I've been self-employed for 30 years. And I really started thinking of myself as being in business about 2000. So 30 years of, or more of writing and then really thinking of myself as being in business for myself. But I've, I was raised in a very entrepreneurial home. In fact, I often joke the only religion I learned was to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there are times we have to force ourselves. You know, we have to force ourselves, I think mostly though, <laughs> to focus. And I know that I've really struggled with that and it's cost me a lot. But then there are times when forcing ourselves is draining us and totally giving us a why bother feeling. And our business may be fantastic, but there's something missing. There's something we need to leave behind that we need to reseek. And that's when we have to say, hmm, what, where, why, why am I exhausting myself with this? So, I, I mean, there can be a lot of reasons we are. I think one, at least for me, is I try to do too many things at one time, right? So marketing the book is a perfect example. You know, we worked for a mar- on a marketing plan for months, and we were, I was getting completely burned out and exhausted and really resentful. And then the pandemic happened and blew it all away. <laughs> right. and I, I yeah. spent a couple of weeks being pissed and depressed and eating a lot of bread. And then I went, oh my gosh, <laughs> here, I'm going to say it for the second time in the show, read your own book. <laughs> you got to leave behind <laughs> that plan. It's not possible now. Like major surrender. There's nothing you can do. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to, the next step in the book is ease in to what you can trust, what you trust about yourself, what you trust about where you're being drawn to, and then settle and get quiet. And I did. I took a lot of meditation, a lot of naps and journaling and just really just hanging out like, okay, what, let's just calm down, calm the nervous system down. And what do you really want? What would be delightful and fun to reach out? And then... What are you, where are you starting that process again of spreading yourself too thin? Where are you starting to force yourself? And I did it this morning. Again, on that run, I was thinking, I've been thinking about inviting different people to do live events with me, you know, internet events, obviously. And I'm like, okay, but let's think about this. Do you really want to do this? What do you think the ROI is going to be? How can you set it up so it doesn't feel complicated? So I think there's a back and forth that we can do as entrepreneurs where we use this process to recharge ourselves, maybe take a few weeks off even to really recharge ourselves if that's available right now and really look at where we're forcing ourselves. And then there's also the, okay, I do have to force myself because I really don't like writing marketing copy, but what are my ideas? Where, where, where can I find the desire in writing marketing copy? Hmm. Yeah, I just recently had a bit of an epiphany around marketing where I've had a past relationship of feeling, uh, you know, not, let's call it not enamored of Mm -hmm. it. And I just um, embraced it in a way that I hadn't before I I recently did an online event. And uh, suddenly it was like, you know, I actually may not hate marketing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a shocking thing when you have a shift from something you've been thinking for a long time and, and uh, it suddenly looks different. And did that have anything to do with tapping into what you really wanted to do? Was, what was there something about the online event that really tapped into things that you enjoy or desire? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what uh, triggered me to, to mm-hmm. mention it is that it's around wanting to deliver something that I know would be helpful to people right now. Mm-hmm. And in your, I mean, in your work, this book is ironically something that's so helpful because we're, we're in this pause, this kind of enforced pause, and it really gives people a chance to look at what's important and why am I bothering? Yeah. And I want to say, I want to just back up for a second and say that the, the, one of my some of my favorite reviews on Amazon so far have been, I really know how to bother. So I didn't think I needed to buy this book, but I bought it because I love Jen. But then I realized, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and that's the central and first point of the book, which is that we, this is natural. It's inevitable. But we don't usually say, why bother, right? That's maybe something we hear come out of our teenagers' mouths. Or, um, mm-hmm. But what we say is, there's no point. It's too late. I'm too old. I've tried it before. He won't change. So why should I, you know, why should I make the effort? She won't change. So I'm just going to go play golf. Um, you know, we, we, we ask the question in different ways, but the thing that's sad, the thing that keeps us stuck, the thing that makes us despair and get to find apathy and no joy is that we think we know the answer. Mm. We think the answer is, well, no, there is no reason to try something different in our marketing or try something different in our marriage or try something different in our health. And what I think is interesting about this, op- this, this opportunity, experience, tragedy of the pandemic is that it's, it's shaking up the things we could hide behind before. Mm. The habits, the habitual ways of thinking or seeing ourselves. And maybe in some ways it's causing us to even cling to them more tightly because we're you know, completely freaked out. But in some cases, I think it's making us go, wow, all right, what do I bother about? Because you need both sides of the question. You need this question, wow, I don't bother. And then we need, we need to embrace that. That's the first thing we have to do. Why don't I bother anymore? What is it that I'm assuming can't change? I mean, that is human, the human condition. Things are taken from us. Things die. People die. We lose our joy for things. I mean, who hasn't gone through that multiple times in their lives, sometimes multiple times in a day? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it makes me think of what you've said about boundaries and how boundaries can be um, kind of an isolation thing where you kind of tuck yourself away and isolate rather than setting boundaries. And in this whole discovery of, of why bother, boundaries become important. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Especially more about yeah, especially for, I would say, I would say for women, but I think men have issues with boundaries too. They just show up differently sometimes. But one of the things that I, I see women do is to have time for themselves, for what they desire, for what recharges them, for what gives them meaning. They, they, they find because they are so connected to family, friends, community, that they may have to almost hide away to have those, that they can't have them in relationship with others. And I think that goes back to how we learn boundaries. I think we think and learn that boundaries are sort of a sign of not being kind, Mm -hmm. of not being connected. And I think it's the exact opposite. When we can show up in our communities, our families, our friends, and say, I care about, I work with a lot of writers, for example. I care about writing. 
And so everybody in the family, let's sit down or I'm going to sit down with my team and these are the hours that I'm not going to be available. This is the hour that I'm not going to be available on these days. And this is why, and this is my boundary. And I think there's something we associate with that that seems selfish or piggy, but I actually think the real reason is because we're afraid of what we desire. And if we set up boundaries, we're saying my desires matter. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think you can have, at the, on the kind of flip side of that, I don't think we can have impact alone. You need other people to have impact. And ra- rather than tucking yourself away and, and isolating yourself, setting boundaries is a way you can still protect your time and energy and be connected with others. And that's such a beautiful point because we all want to be connected. It, we all want to be loved and give love and we all want to have an impact in our own way. We all do. You can see uh, early in the pandemic when in the UK, they put out a call for volunteers. They need 250,000. They got 750,000 volunteers. And that's because we do want to make a difference. When we see people hurting, when we see injustice, if we can work around our own biases and, and our own fears about being consumed by giving, because when we have boundaries in place, then that's not as likely to happen. We realize we can say no. And then we want that impact. It's part of why we bother. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you tell this story about your mom um, later in her life invading your house, and you you wrote the the cost of having your own life can be astronomical, and that having boundaries can feel like pitting what you want against what someone else needs. I think this is a constant conflict that people have around. Well, how much do I get to have, and how much is does the other person get to have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I think it comes back again and again to that sense of being able to have a lot of self-compassion for ourselves and a lot of awareness that we have pretty silly ideas (laughs) about how we're in charge of our own brains and, and thinking, you know, we're really, some estimates, our personality is made up like 95, 98% of culture, right? The culture that we live in. And so if we've been raised in a culture where it's all about giving, of course, it's going to be hard to recalibrate that in a way that feels right to us. Of course, we're going to feel uncomfortable if we've been raised, you know, or, or enculturated, or I see, I work with a lot of people, for example, who've gone through, you know, many, many years of training to be a medical doctor or a professor in a particular field, a lawyer, you know, we're going to learn lots and lots of ways and form our brain in lots of ways that can, can make it easier or harder to have boundaries. And we just have to have a sense of humor about that and awareness, especially again, I think for women in, in, in particular ages and, and parts of our country and, and, and professions. Mm, yeah. Well, in, in my experience with my clients, the, the impact they want to have has been shaped by usually some important event or experience in the past. And uh, it's often in childhood. And is that, is that true for you? Do you think that something triggered that way in which you're looking at impact now? Well, yeah, I think I was one of those 
kids that always was looking around going, why do things work the way they do? This doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> and in particular, you know, and I think we're always rewriting our history and forming it through whatever lens that we have at the time. But since the lens of this book, I've been reflecting, it seems like from a very early age, I would look around and think, why do people give up? Why do they give up on being fulfilled or happy or creative or connected to their people? Or why do so many adults seem to kind of numb out and settle, you know, settle for it being enough? I think I, I think that was something that really had cooked in me all this and formed a lot of my work. Yeah. Well, yeah, something you said in the book is, I believe life hungers to live through us. I believe in fighting for your life. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I wonder if some people feel like, well, it should just be happening. I shouldn't have to be making this much effort. Well, I mean, I think the effort that we make is to be emotionally and physically available to life. It's to work through the traumas and scars and inevitable disappointments and griefs and not to become smaller, not to, I think of it as a hose and life comes along and keeps putting kinks in it, right? <laughs> and stepping <laughs> on it and leaving it out in the sun to like it's really friable. But we need to do whatever we find, and it's going to be different for all of us, to restore the suppleness of that hose and unkink it. Because life then will rush to meet us, and then we don't have to work so hard. And we don't have to feel alone. And that's another really important message that I offer really early in the book. I think it's pretty early in the book, which is I think bothering Again, getting your bother on, finding this desire and uh, flow of life again, it's not something you do alone. Like life is right there saying, hey, come on, just, just meet me. Like even like take five steps towards me. Open your heart a little bit. Forgive yourself a little bit. Get a little curious about what you want and I'll be right there to help you. And that it's a natural creator process, no different than composing a song or writing a book or coaching a client, building a company, right? There's a, the natural creative process, we've all experienced it millions of times. There's stages to it. And this is the natural creative process of life. And this is the stage in which we go, oh, man, nothing works. <laughs> right. Everything's awful. What a mess. Or maybe not everything. I mean, people get why bother in just some areas of their life or one area. And then sometimes it's, it feels like your whole life. Yeah. Well, I... I was a little surprised the way you started answering that because I thought that story of your mother being told by your dad, no, you can't go get mm. a job. I was enraged when I read it. And, and I know you said in the book that you were just furious about that for the for a long time. It, you know, she was a woman of her time mm -hmm. that that marriage was in a certain time. Mm -hmm. But um, does it it not figure so largely anymore? Oh, no, 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 it totally does. No, I think that was that. That story, my mom wanted to work and I was 16 and she, I was in the backseat of the car and she asked my dad in this very tentative way, you know, Doyle, would you, you know, I want to, I want to take this job. And my dad was like, absolutely not. I want you home when I'm home. I want to travel when I want you to travel with me when I want to travel. And I will, I want to preface this or, or not preface, but <laughs> explain my dad was older. He was 43. It was a second marriage. So my mom's second marriage as well. She was 17 years younger than he was. And they stayed married until um, my dad died. And 
had a very happy marriage in many ways, but there was a big age difference. My dad was very much the different generation. He was born in 1919. And so, yes, so he, that was something that I didn't realize until I was writing the book was such a formative story for me. But it was more formative, I think, when it comes to my work, particularly with women and around women's self-care and, and making more of what you want. So, yeah, but that's very much in there. And yeah. what motivates me to have impact for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to have impact, you really, on some level, have to believe that you matter in some way. Yes. And you've said, in order to matter, I had to be better than I am, which is kind of the, the anthem of self-help right there. Yes. And, um, so I, you know, obviously in the book, uh, you you talk about that you learned to matter by creating something just for yourself. Can you talk a bit about that and, and that journey a little bit? Yeah, I, I've always been creative and wanted to be creative and make stuff. And I have since a young age, but when it became my job through my writing and speaking and teaching, I began to, and, and there's lots of stuff in here, but one of the threads is I began to think that, you know, I, I sort of, became, you know, branded, branding, everything had to be for work, everything had to be for money, and everything had to keep growing, you know, it's, it's the same thing that entrepreneurs find, right? And it, when mm -hmm. you have a bad year, you, or book doesn't do as well, you don't get a speaking gig, it's really easy to start to think that you don't matter. And it was learning to create for myself making art. Uh, go back to the moment ago when I was talking about collaging again, um, that was so huge for me for feeling a sense of joy and desire again. And I, I don't think, I mean, nothing fits into a neat box in this world, but I do yeah. think having things that we do just for the joy of it and not because of what it gets us is, is pretty essential feedback loop. Yeah. Well, and, and you, I mean, you sound, it sounds like you've kind of moved through a, a shift in that in a way, because you were really, uh, you've been really ambitious in your life, mm -hmm. but you've had really high expectations of success and wanting to, um, you know, be a screenwriter, make lots of money, be on <laughs> Oprah. Um, and uh, you said that, you've said that ambitions kind of worked against you at times. Yeah, because, so, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think the ambition worked against me because I got very much into when I get there, then I will be enough. Then I will matter. And we all know, we may forget, <laughs> but we all know that there's nowhere to get to be enough. And it's an internal practice. It's an internal mindset shift. It's a spiritual practice. And it can take many different forms for many different kinds of people, but it's exhausting when your ambition is about somehow someday arriving and then you will be enough. And what I would say to myself is then I'll be done. And I was talking about this on a podcast with Jenny Blake yesterday and she was saying, yeah, she had the same thing, you know, I'll get this, you know, like, and let's just think of book marketing. I'll get this influencer. Oh, Reese Witherspoon will pick the book for the book club and then I'll be done. <laughs> Right. You know, and yeah, we, the, the new Oprah. Exactly. We, so we do these <laughs> fantasies in our minds. I'll have this kind of product launch. I'll have this, I'll get these executive clients. And we, I think that's 
the loop that we have to be really careful about because going back to your earlier question, that can be where we start to really force ourselves and exhaust ourselves. And we get farther and farther away, maybe from our values, from the kind of work that we want to do, and from that, that flow of desire animating us. And I don't mean to sound airy-fairy about desire. Plenty of times I'm going to sit down like tomorrow when I need to write a new Facebook ad <laughs> and I'm going to do something <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I don't particularly desire doing this. But the larger experience of desire in my life, like with collaging or going up in the mountains or knowing that I get to have a conversation like this with you, that gets to fuel some of the things that maybe I do because I know they work to help me make money and get my impact out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that's all connected to this idea of, you know, what's enough because mm. bigger is better is the myth around business. And it's so hard to say this much is enough for me. And to quote you from the book, why? Because I say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a bold, it's a bold statement. It is. And it goes with this done thing though, right? You know, so if I get Reese to say yes and have me on the book club, then I'll be enough. But why will that be enough? Who said? <laughs> Do, yeah. I remember when my editor who became my agent for a number of years said to me, okay, I don't remember. I think it was, we were on my third book at that point. And she said, okay, I want to know what's going to be enough. Is it the New York Times? Is it how many weeks on the New York Times? And then I think of the story from a book that Sue uh, Bender wrote, uh, Everyday Sacred. And she, her first book had become a surprise bestseller about her time with the Amish. And she was not a writer. She's a potter. And she ha wrote this very sweet book about needing to simplify and get quiet and spending time with the Amish. This was back in the early 90s. And she then wrote a second follow-up book to it. And the story in the follow-up book was she was in, she lived in Berkeley and she was in the greengrocers and a woman friend saw a friend and she said to the friend, oh my gosh, I'll never believe my books on the New York Times bestseller list. Just so delighted and happy. Like this wasn't her world. It wasn't a goal, anything like that. And the friend looked at her and went, what number? <laughs> oh, no pressure. And right oh. then she went, nothing I'll do out here is ever going to be enough. There'll yeah. always be someone else who's doing more or who's questioning me or is judging it or whatever. That's just right. human nature. That's, that's the way our brains are built. Yeah. And, it would, and if the number had been number one, it would have been, well, how long? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. So if we don't learn to declare in really practical ways, what is enough for us and not so much about the big stuff, but about the daily stuff, it's really hard to ever feel that sense of satisfaction and enoughness. And it's really yeah. radical. It's radical to say, I'm making this much money or living in this kind of house or making this much money so I can give half of it away is what I really believe in and I really want to do. Or I or working this many hours or you know, whatever, whatever it is. That's what I want. That's what satisfies me. And of course there's risk involved. But there's risk involved in going the other way, too. <laughs> I think much yeah, more risk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to spend just these last couple minutes really delving a bit into your business a mm, little sure. bit. And one of the things that I'm curious about is if you think of yourself as a leader, do you, and do you consciously cultivate leadership or is it is it more organic in process? No, it's really organic for me. I I 
don't think about being a leader. I don't, when people call me a leader, I look at them and go, what? (laughs) So for me, it's, it's being in as much integrity and alignment and showing up as fully as I can and really, really embracing the fact that I don't have to fix anything. I don't have to know anything. And it's great to declare that when I need to. Hmm. Well, it, it, in related to that, do you consciously create an environment for your team? Hmm. Is that something? I do a little bit. Like my team is virtual and they have other clients. So I have a part-time team and they're very integral to my work and my success. And I love them. And they're the best team I've ever had in 20 years. But because we're not in the same, like, it's not like we're all working in the same office. So I do, I mean, I, I, I create, you know, guidelines for them. I, I, I'm, I think the most important quality that I regularly demonstrate on our Zoom calls and in my emails is just a lot of thankfulness and gratitude and kindness and really trying to look for what goes right. And then the second quality is to really slow down when something, when I'm not sure if something's been done or it's working. Like I'm, I'm not a somebody who runs to blame, but really making sure that I don't communicate that uh, by, by mistake, because we are virtual. We use Basecamp and email and Zoom. And yeah. And then I think really thinking about just, I just try to think about what will help them feel valued. And, and then how can, and then I think the other thing that's been really huge for me to learn, and boy, God, I wish I would have learned this a long time ago. I'm still, I've kind of gotten it, is I do have to lead. <laughs> I like to, I, I went through years where I thought other people knew better, whether it was my team or someone I hired or consultant. And I, if they would just tell me what to do, then I would be successful. And that, oh my God, that never, ever, 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 ever happens. It's terrible, 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 <laughs> terrible. Don't go there. Don't think that. It, I, I just, right. And, and these days my skin just wants to crawl off my body when a friend or colleague will say, well, I just, I, I don't, I'm not going to ever understand X. Let's say Facebook ads again. So I'm just going to hire people to figure it out for me because I just find it like just, it's overwhelming and it's boring. And I'm like, oh, I got an alarm bell going on. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. You don't have to understand lookalike audiences or you don't have to, under, but you got to understand a heck of a lot more. And first of all, why the hell are you doing Facebook ads? <laughs> well, yeah. And how do you even guide a process? Exactly. Like a and, yeah. And, without understanding. So, and I love your help being able to language this because I, I know there's a lot of truth to it, but I don't know how to talk to people about it when I see them not owning their business and thinking someone else is going to be able to come and give them a plan or do the work for them. Do you know what I mean? I do. It's so tempting. I mean, that that's why so many businesses that say, you know, follow my 10 steps and you'll make six or seven figures. It's, it's also tempting because you're in this constant state of discomfort and I don't know. And, uh, you know, I think, at least in my experience, being an entrepreneur, so much of it is just one big experiment. You, right. you don't know right. if that Facebook ad will work. You, you probably, all you can do is collect data and information that, well, this worked well before and therefore it's likely to work again. And I know my audience, so crucial. I mean, all those things that go into successfully doing that. Yeah, but I think there's like this deeper clunkety clunk clunk like I, like I feel like when something clicks into place and there's this deeper clunking into place about why we're doing our business 
Mm. Oh, there's a beautiful red tail hawk right over my window. I wish y'all could <laughs> see it. Oh, it's been visiting beautiful. lately. It's been hanging out right here. There must be some baby birds to eat. Sweet. Um, oh, hi. And so I think there's something about that, that I matter, that my vision matters, that what I want matters. There's a sort of a clarity process that, that sometimes comes through doing those exercises. Who is your, who is your avatar and all that, but it seems much deeper than that. Right. And I don't, can't give it, I wish I could give it exercises or language or, or lead people through it. But all I know is that when I didn't, own what I wanted and what I wanted my business to look like and and when or when I forget now because of course it's always evolving especially in a pandemic then I get into trouble yeah well I wonder if it's around owning the impact you want to have I mean certainly in the work that I do it's all around focusing around the impact mm. focusing on the impact as a way to sort of guide what you're doing and give it some direction and make choices and is this going to help me have the impact I want to have? Because if you can really embrace that, that means you really believe that you matter. I like that. I'm going to reflect on that. I really like that because the first place when you started to talk internally, I'm like, no, 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 no. Because, because <laughs> my thing about impact could easily become fantasy and identity, right? Mm -hmm. I need to be a big deal. And so, but then I realized no, that's not what you're saying at all. And what it is, is like, Oh, like, let it goes back to what I was talking about earlier about focus. So where in my book marketing can I have that most impact and will that help me focus? But it's yeah. still an experiment and it's not about being, it's not about identity. It's about serving. Yeah. I mean, I actually think it's a dynamic interplay between you and, and what you're contributing. Mm -hmm. So the way I define impact is, where you and your your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. Mm. So it's always got to have the two elements because you can't keep giving no. without oh, right. That's what freaks, filling well freaks and people out and gets them into why bother because they just completely burn yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really both mm -hmm. uh, coming into play. Yeah. Well, thanks for the chance to explore that. Yeah, no, that was great. That was really valuable. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, my last question before we get to the rapid round is uh, really, I, I heard you say in an interview that you're four on the end. No, yeah. Which I am too. Oh, there we go. We're so special. <laughs> well, that's it. And I know it's that I totally recognize some of the, the things you wrote about. And how do you think that's influenced your journey as an entrepreneur, that the Enneagram is such a powerful tool. And I, I, I wondered what your experience of that is. The Enneagram is probably one of the top five things that has made me a better person. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a huge Enneagram. I'm, I'm not deeply steeped in it. Like I have friends that have studied it for years. I've, you know, read a few books, <laughs> but I read them to help me. So yes, it's been huge for me. And what it's really helped me understand as an entrepreneur is that I have to seek equanimity and that flinging myself around trying things, getting knocked off because things don't go the way I want, all that drama is the quickest way to lose money and lose impact. And mm. steadiness and equanimity and facts, facts are my friends. You know, data is my friend. I'm measuring things, which is the kind of thing that I do not like to do, is my friend. So that's yeah. been huge. And then I think the other thing is really understanding that m my gift and 
you can see this through the lens of the four, is to use my own experience and bring back insights and lessons and sometimes tools to help other people. And it, sometimes it's hard, been hard for me to value that. Um, I had a wonderful conversation with Brene Brown years ago, right before she became started the uber famous journey. And I had come up intuitively with a concept in my first book, the woman's comfort book called shadow comforts. And I write about it in my father as well. There are things mm -hmm. that we do that don't really nurture us. And we do them often in place of what we really want our true desires. So we can also call them substitute desires. And this was, this was a concept I came up with from observing myself and other people. And I loved it and people loved it and they resonated with it. And when I told her about it, it was like a bomb went off. I mean, and she has since written about it in two of her books and talked about it endlessly in talks and stuff. Is, yeah, and quoted you. Quoted me, so. right, which is so cool. But what was cool for me, what, the reason I'm telling the story is not, wow, Brene made me cool, but because she validated my concept. And I was, I said to her, you know, I have always felt some shame that I'm not a researcher like you are. And she's like, no, there's two ways in, to, right? There's the research and the, 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 the gathering the data and crunching it and looking at it. And then there's our intuitive observed experiences. And so she really, she really, like if there was a moment in my life that I went, oh, right, the way that I'm doing things is okay. That was a moment that she gave me and it was really precious. Yeah, it's validating to hear. And it's, it's really important to hold that as something that you contribute. Exactly. That so that's something that a four particularly struggles with, but maybe not, for example, a seven. <laughs> Who is right. just like, yeah. oh, yes, no. Okay, great. Ball. On to the next swirl. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's such a great tool. So thank you for reflecting on that. I appreciate it. So um, I always end these interviews with a rapid round of three questions around impact. And uh, are you game? How fast do I have to talk? <laughs> <laughs> just as fast as you want okay. to. So the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? It's not about me. Mm. It's not about me. And it's not about what impact I want to have. Yeah, it's about what impact noticing how the work or presence is, is impacting others and being curious about that. And where do I, where and if I want to build on that. I think I've wanted certain impacts. And then when we want a certain impact, it's, I think it's very easy to overlook maybe what we're naturally drawn to do or the ways we naturally serve or have impact and can, and then we, if we overlook those, we can't build on them or amplify them. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Right. So even mm -hmm. though this was my first real book, and I can explain what I mean by that if anybody cares, in 11 mm -hmm. years, I, wrote, I write every single week to my email list. I'm posted on our blog. I, I very rarely skip a week. And sometimes we send something, you know, that's lighter, or we send links, or sometimes we send you know, something promotional for sure. But I write a lot of very thoughtful pieces. And I think that is probably the, that's what I tell myself at least. <laughs> Plus all my books. Well, it, it, what do you mean it's the first real book? In oh, right. Years? So I spent 11 years writing all kinds of different books. And before that, I spent actually more years writing books that nobody saw. And in that 
time, I did a project for National Geographic and I did a, a reprint of a book called The Life Organizer. So there were books that were released into the world, but they the reprint was very little work and, and the National Geographic project was a three week project. So all those years I was really trying to find what I wanted to say next and I had projects fall apart on me. I wrote a memoir for four years and 500 pages that didn't work. Hmm. I had another book that my agent turned wow. down. <laughs> there was a lot in there. Wow. <laughs> 500 pages as a writer. It, that just, it makes my, makes my head want to explode. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of pages. A lot of pages. Yeah. 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 Well, the last question in the rapid round is uh, if there's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with somebody who wants to have impact, who wants to really contribute, what would you say to them? I think what you said earlier is just brilliant. And what I try to practice, which is to really look inside of me and where is my natural inclinations and desires and interests bubbling up and then to look outside of me and say, where, who could that serve? How do I need to adjust it to meet a population in need? We, I, I need both. I cannot look outside me and go, oh, wow, there's a problem. And I want to go solve that problem. I can't. It has to come. And that's probably my foreness again. It has to come from deep inside of me. It has to be something I'm learning and I'm curious about. And this book is a perfect example of that. Hmm. That's great. Well, Jen, thank you so much for everything you've shared today. It's, I mean, your body of work is really extraordinary. And I know it's been a bit of a, you know, perhaps slow path over the last 11 years <laughs> yes, to this has. book, but, <laughs> but the, but the, your most recent book is going to really uh, help people through uh, some difficult times. And I, uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you and want to buy your book, how can they, how can they do that? Sure. The book is available everywhere, paperback, ebook, and audio form. And I read the mm -hmm. audio book. And so anywhere you like to buy your books. And then if you want to send uh, the receipt and get some gifties, you just go to jenniferloudon.com forward slash why dash bother. And very simple instructions there. And we'll have perennial goodies. So whenever you're listening to this, there'll be something there for you. <laughs> um, and if you're like, I'm not sure I want the book, you can just go to jenniferloudon.com. You'll see a uh, sign up and you can get a free chapter, the first chapter free. So um, either way, you can get, you know, a taste. Great. Well, thank you, Jen. And uh, I'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes thank as well. You. Yeah. So thank you again, Jen, for all the work and the good work you're doing in the world. Well, thank you. Thank you for making me think about impact in a new way. I think it's going to be really exciting. Before you go, don't forget to register for the Fierce Women Forum so you can grow as a leader and have more impact with your business. Go to workalchemy.com forward slash FWF, as in Fierce Women Forum, to learn more and to register. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.